I was driving somewhere, and we, uh, I stopped, or I thought I stopped, and I tried to go, and I couldn't go, and I was like, Dad, what's the matter? He said, I got the breakdown. I said, well, you didn't come to complete stop, and I thought, oh, no, this is going to be the rest, next few weeks of my life, because <laughs> he would bring the car home. So uh, now my dad, who's long past, doesn't tell me that. One of my children tells me they don't come to complete stop, so, so that's, uh, it never ends. So um, Anyway, I still remember the day my mom said, your dad's not in a very good mood. And I said, why not? They had an accident in driver ed. So, so it was his first and only accident. It wasn't his fault, of course, but he felt responsible. And my brother's girlfriend was in the car at the time, but she wasn't driving. So anyway, I don't know how I remember all that. So um, let's pray, and we're going to look into God's word this morning. Uh, God, we ask you, um, I think it was the first song we sang when we, what we sang was, Nothing Here is Hidden. And we even sang, may your word come with power. So we know that when we look at the Bible, it's not simply some kind of academic intellectual exercise, but it's an exercise of opening ourselves to you where we, as much as we know how, aren't hiding anything from you. And we're willing for you to uh, encourage us, correct us, challenge us, whatever ways you want to do it. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear whatever your spirit wants us to see and hear, because we know that apart from the supernatural intervention of your Holy Spirit, this is simply a dry exercise. So we want to know what your Spirit is saying to us, and we ask this all in your name. Amen. Um, I brought some, some of my Bibles here, and I, they all represent different phases of my life. So like this first Bible, it's actually a King James Bible, which is, if you know, that was the translation from 1611. But I got this probably when I was 13. It was a big deal in my family when you bought your own Bible. I think we had to use our own money for it, too. It's got these leafy pages. It doesn't look overly used, okay? But I still I have in, my, in the front, I kind of wrote my name in a real funny script. And this was like a big deal when I got my first. This was my, I probably had kitty Bibles. But I had this Bible like my teenage years. Well, then, and I still have the box, believe it or not. I still have the box for the Bible. I don't know why we saved that. Somehow that was a spiritual activity as well. Anyway, and then I got this Bible when I went into college. It's a different translation. It's called the New, New International Version. This one's a little more worn. I actually have, I can prove it I read it because it's ripped up a little bit. There's markings in it and things like that. But this was a large part of my life when I was in college and beyond. And then I, some of you may or may not know I went to seminary. So this is a Greek New Testament, so uh, I can make out a few things now. My son's taking Greek in college. He could probably take out more, make out more than I can, but the New, the New Testament, of course, you may, you may or may not know, was written in Greek. It was kind of the, the language, the academic language of the day, and so this was a Greek Bible. Then also in seminary, I had to study Hebrew, which I didn't do. I won't tell you what my grade was in that class, but it wasn't very good. Um, Hebrew actually, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Hebrew actually reads, how do you say it? The opposite way, right to left. So you start in the back as a title page, and then it reads this way, and you flip this way. So I could never get my head around that. So that's why I had a hard time with Hebrew. I mean, I did eventually. I maybe I, I at least passed the class. But so the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and then this is the Bible I use a lot today at home. It's just a study Bible. It's a really heavy one, so I don't really carry it around a whole lot. But this is the one, it's the New Living Translation, and I'll talk a little about some of the different translations today about what, what does it mean and why do you, how do you choose and whatever. But this one has a little more notes and it helps me out. I, this is my, when I read at home, it helps me out a lot. Now, when I'm bringing all these, 
this is not to be impressive because none of, none of this matters. Um, the, none of the Bible, none of how, how much Bible I've studied, how many Bibles I've had, whether I studied Greek and Hebrew, and I think I got a C-plus in Hebrew, just to be honest with you, C-plus. But, so, um, but none of that matters unless I understand how to make that part of my life. Because if you think about it in the New Testament, who were the experts in the Bible? The Pharisees. They were the experts. They knew the Bible backward and forward. They knew it in Hebrew. They knew the language of the Bible. They, they memorized large portions. But yet Jesus said, even though they had the knowledge of all this, they were like what Jesus said, whitewashed tombs. So we don't want to study the Bible like the Pharisees where it becomes some academic exercise or it becomes some exercise to impress people. So the question is, how do we study the Bible? How, what role should that play in your life and my life on a day-to-day, normal kind of basis? So what we've been doing, we started a couple weeks ago, we started a series called Change. And the A there uh, is the Greek letter delta, which is a symbol for change. And it's spiritual habits that enable us to become the life-giving people Jesus knows we can be. Of course, we're talking about the Bible today. Last week we talked about remembering, the action, activity of remembering times in your life when God's been uh, faithful to you, good to you, showed up in your life. And over the next few weeks, we'll talk about today, we'll talk about the Bible, and we'll talk about, talking about praying, fasting, doing things in secret, different activities that help you put yourself in a situation where the Holy Spirit can get your attention and help you grow in some ways. Because if we're not changing, and by changing, I don't mean getting smarter, I mean if our character isn't becoming more and more like Jesus, then we're wasting our time. So today we're going to be talking about, go to the next slide, um, so these are the things, and I'll show this every week. These are the things that Jesus said we could do. These were the commands of Jesus. Of course, Jesus would have confirmed a lot of the Old Testament commandments, and a lot of these come from the Sermon on the Mount. But these are the things Jesus told us to do. If you want to call them the commands of Jesus, expectations of Jesus, whatever you want to call them. So, and actually, I want, today I want, to, I want us to read through these out loud. So read with me all the things that you're supposed to be doing. All right, and I'm supposed to be doing. All right, here we go. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Do not judge others. Forgive others. Repent. Heal the sick. You should tithe. Do not be afraid. Do not worry. Go and be reconciled. Give to those in need. Invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind, and love one another. Those do not come natural to any of us. Those are not a natural reaction of any of us situations, especially the first couple ones about loving your enemies, doing good to those who hate you, doing good to those who hurt you. Those are not easy things to do. But what we're we're talking about with these spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits, is how how does God change our characters so these things become our nature? we, We naturally do those things. I mean, like I said, the example I use is when Jesus was on the cross when he was getting tortured and crucified, he's forgiving them. That's not, a natural, that, that's not natural to most of us. When, I, when, I'm, when somebody's hurting me, I just want to fight back at the moment. So how do we become the kind of people that, by nature, obey the things Jesus said we could do? And then in doing so, if we do these things, we change the world. All right, next slide. A couple things before we kind of talk. So today, today the habit we're talking about is a spiritual habit of open your Bible. I know it should say opening your Bible. I just like the way it's, I'm not going to worry about grammar right now. So the challenge for this week is going to be get in the habit of opening your Bible. 
Open your Bible. All right, go to the next slide here. A couple things I want to highlight about spiritual disciplines and habit. And the first thing I'll just say about desire and discipline. It's not hard to have good intentions about habits. I mean, it's not hard to... Over there, you knew, where you have a New Year's resolution. I've told you before, Tom Kelzer is a physical therapist that I go to. And I can tell Tom, I have good intentions to do all the exercises you've told me to do. But the good intentions don't make any difference if I don't do it. And, and there's this huge gap we have, whether, it's been, whether you tried to lose weight, physical therapy, whatever. There's a huge gap between your intentions and your desires and actually doing it. So the challenge with those aspects of life, but especially with our spiritual aspect of life, is how to couple desire with discipline. I want to see change in my life, but what do I do? And how do I do it? And how do I break the kind of inertia of not doing things? And what are the spiritual habits, disciplines that I can do? And some of you might say, well, I don't even have a desire to do any of those things. I don't have a desire to change. That's going to be where you need to be Asking God, God, give me desire, because I don't really care. And that, I, that's okay if you're at that place. It's not okay to stay there. So, but, and, but some people have discipline and no desire, and that's equally, that's legalistic. I do all these things, but I, my heart's not in it. So you've got to have that, challenge, that, that combination of desire and intention, and here's what I'm going to do about it. Because if you don't have that, we call these people dreamers. <laughs> they have great intentions and desires, but they're never doing anything. All right. Next thing before we kind of jump into some of the stuff, this is just a phrase I got from an author I really like. He calls it the moment of crisis. Because what, uh, example, you guys, if you were around at all, if you know much about IU basketball, Steve Alford, was, who coaches UCLA now, played at IU. And he had a certain way to shoot free throws, a certain kind of habit he went through. I don't know if anybody, Mike Kalb might remember, but the fans would do it with him. He would go, I think it was socks, shorts, dribble, 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 shoot. And the fans would even say, socks, short, dribble. So, wasn't that something like that? Maybe it was three, two dribbles, I don't know. So at the moment of crisis, the free throw, Steve Alford, that's what he did. Socks, short, dribble, dribble. It was a, it was a moment that he had to come through. Now, if I want to be like Steve Alford then, then I should just do that, right? I should just get to the free throw line. Okay, this is what, what would Steve Alford do? Well, he would do this, this, dribble, 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 shoot. Well, I guarantee you my percentage won't be anything close to Steve Alford's. Because if all I'm doing is trying to, at the moment of crisis, now I've got to figure out what to do, it's not going to be successful. Steve Alford was successful at the moment of crisis because he had rigorous training behind the scenes. And see, we often think, and this is not mocking the what would Jesus do, WWJD, but at the moment of crisis, you can't just think, hey, what would Jesus do in this situation? You perform in the moment of crisis exactly how you've trained yourself to perform. And if I've been training myself with prayer, scripture, fasting, doing the things Jesus said I can train my soul with, then at the moment of crisis, when somebody's hurting me or my enemies are hating me, I don't have to think, what would Jesus do? Oh, he'd forgive. Okay, I forgive you. No. Forgiveness becomes a natural byproduct of who I am at that moment of crisis. 
So, and we, we, tend to, we tend to not realize that. We tend to think, okay, at the moment of Christ, I just need to try harder to be like Jesus. When it's not about trying harder, it's about training better. And you train your soul. So that's why we're doing these spiritual disciplines. It's training your soul like you would train muscles. You know, when Tom Kelzer gives me exercises to do to strengthen parts of my body, it's because I'm training it, so then when I want to do other activities, I can do them naturally without thinking about it, because I've trained myself to do it naturally. So this whole idea at the moment of crisis, it's all about how you've prepared for that. So today we're talking about, go to the next, we're talking about opening your Bible. So uh, here's what I'm going to do for this. I'm just, I'm gonna, we're going to look at a few passages of Scripture, actually five exactly, um, and then we're talking about what they say, but I'm going to go to the next slide first, and then we'll jump to the... Now, the assumption is going to be that we, we trust the Bible. It's worth reading. And I'm aware that not everybody may share that assumption. But just in a nutshell, the Bible is 66 books written over a course of 1,600 years by 40 authors... That includes kings, fishermen, doctors, poets, philosophers, prophets, and statesmen. Some of it's poetry. Some of it's like technical writing about generations passing on. Some of it's narrative story. And uh, over all those years, there's a consistent theme. The Bible has a consistent theme of God's desire to change the world through his people. Old Testament through his people, the people of Abraham, the Jewish people translated in the new testament we are now the children of abraham but it's all about god's desire to change his to his people you should be my people i will be your god his people changing the world to reflect more of the character of god love joy peace patience those things now i say we trust the bible and this is what's interesting too um i say we trust the bible if somebody was sitting over here who was uh a Muslim, they would say, well, I trust the Koran. Well, who's right? Do we just yell at each other till the loudest person wins? Because it's interesting, a lot of, uh, and I'm not knocking this either, a lot of churches will start their theological statements of, we believe the Bible is the word of God. So it almost feels like a truth claim out of the middle of nowhere. Well, a Muslim would say, I believe the Koran is the word of God. So there, let's fight about it. But what I, what we have in our kind of, document for Exodus, and I think this is actually, this is the way I think about it. I trust the Bible because Jesus trusted the Bible. And you might say, wait a minute, that's kind of backwards thinking because the Bible, we know about Jesus from the Bible. But even if you look at the Bible just an historical document, even if you should look at it that way, it's pretty clear that some man named Jesus existed, and he talked about the Old Testament in, in clear, reverential, trusting tones. He kept saying, for it is written, this is what, this is written, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. He spoke of the Old Testament as, as if he had great confidence in it, full confidence and trust. And then he also told, told, told the disciples, the Holy Spirit's going to come, he's going to remind you of everything I said and did. So even though the New Testament wasn't written when Jesus was around, in a sense, I believe he was already saying, I'm going to trust whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to write down, which became the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. So I trust the Bible because Jesus trusted the Bible. And that changes the conversation if I'm talking to a Muslim or a Hindu or somebody who just thinks the Bible is a fairy tale book. But like I say, no, my, my trust of the Bible is based on my trust of the person Jesus. He trusted the Bible, therefore I do. 
So it's different than just saying, my truth claim is better than your truth claim. It's like, no, it's a relational, I trust Jesus, Jesus trusted the Bible, old and new. So that's kind of where we start. So we, we're, I suppose it'd be silly to talk about reading the Bible if you don't trust it. But we do trust it because Jesus trusted it and seemed to talk as if this was the way that you would have the kind of life you've always dreamed to have, is if you trust and live by the precepts in the Bible. All right, so here we go. I'm just going to go through some different passages, and then at the end I'm going to challenge you with some real practical things you could do if you want to start a habit of being in the Bible and opening your Bible, all right? So in the book of Joshua, um, Joshua is when he took over after Moses. They were in the promised land, and the challenge to Joshua was this. Study this book of instruction continually. At that point, the book of instruction was just a handful of the early Old Testament books. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. So you'll see that obedience is the big issue. That you, We study the Bible, we read the Bible, because it helps us learn how to obey. But to stop there would be wrong because it's like only then will you prosper and succeed. So we don't study the Bible simply because well, we have to obey, so it's a, it's a to-do list. No, it's we obey... Because prosperity and succeeding, and then in the New Testament, Jesus says we, we know God more. We have an experience of God more. So uh, the word study is used, the word meditate. Meditation is simply kind of this sense of think about it when you read. You'll notice the Bible never says read the Bible. We should read it, but sometimes we get caught with reading it and not engaging it. So and we'll talk about what that looks like and how that looks out. But so that's one place where it's the, the challenge was re study it and meditate on it so you learn how to obey and so you have this prosperous, satisfying life. Next passage of Scripture, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 has 176 verses in it, and the whole psalm is about uh, the psalmist's love for, for the Word. For in that case, it, was the, it would have been the Old Testament, some of the Old Testament books at that time. And this is what the psalmist wrote, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. So again, it's, we don't read the Bible so we can win in jeopardy, or trivial pursuit, or bash it over somebody's head, or simply fulfill an obligation of, God, of a legalistic God. We read the Bible because the Bible tells us it sets us free. It sets us hearts free. And actually in the original language here, it says, you have enlarged my heart. You've given me greater capacity for what you want to do in my life. So this sense of, yes, we obey, but it's because it's about freedom, success, prosperity. Next one. This is in the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. Paul is writing this to Timothy, who was a young pastor. And again, at this time, all the scripture was the Old Testament. It was the, first, the Pentateuch, it was the prophets, it was the writings. Um, but when we read this, we also assume that, again, because it, we think the Holy Spirit is pretty smart about this kind of stuff, it includes the New Testament. But in, in this case, all Scripture is inspired by God. That's a word that gets thrown around a lot. People don't always know what it means. We wrestle with what. But the, the, the sense of the original word is it's God-breathed. It's breathed in life by God. So that doesn't mean that God dictated and told Paul Okay, this is exactly what you're going to dictate it. But it, God was, we believe that God was behind 
whoever was writing that book, whether it was Matthew or Mark or Jonah in the Old Testament or Paul in some of the New Testament or Peter in the New Testament, we believe that it was the Holy Spirit in giving them the, the thoughts, and, and, and not exactly the words, but the thoughts and maybe some of the words to write down so that it was God-breathed. And that's where we have the sense of confidence that we believe this is from God. And it, again, this is one of those things you can, people will want to argue with you about, and that's the, the, the Bible as we know it was finalized probably in like the third or fourth century because godly leaders of the church would read all these, they collected all these different scrolls that had been written, and they came to a con- combined unity of, we believe these books were from God because there's consistency, it resonates with us, um, it wasn't just a random thing. But so this, all scripture is inspired by God, God breathed, useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So uh, how does that happen? How does it correct us when we're wrong? It doesn't, doesn't jump up and hit us in the head or anything. But I th- I've told this story a number of times, but I always like telling it because it makes me look bad in a sense. But there's a time in my life, I, and I still do some, but I memorized some some scripture, and one of them was Psalm 139, and this part of the psalm says, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So part of the reason it's in, I encourage you to memorize, because then God often brings them back, usually at inopportune moments. So I'm actually having a conversation with my wife, not my wife then, we were engaged, about... Uh, it's a silly argument when I think about it, but who was going to be the DJ at our wedding? She wanted a guy named Mark to do it. I, I, it's not that I didn't like Mark. I was tired of my wife making what I thought was all the decisions, so I was just arguing for that basis. So I remember we had, you know, and I just said, I don't want Mark to be the DJ. We both knew Mark. We, we both liked him, but I was just wanting to be in control, right? I didn't think I was. I thought it was being genuine, you know? And I can still remember my wife in my in-law's living room saying, well, fine. She turned the lights off in the room, in the living room we're sitting, and she stormed off upstairs. And I felt a great deal of sorrow for her because of her sinful reaction to my... I mean, I really, I remember thinking, oh, so I must be right because she's the first one that blew her temper, right? Please, if you're married, tell me you do that too, right? Okay. So I'm sitting there, and I was actually feeling quite smug about, in my... In my feeling a little bit bad for Kathy for having lost her temper and probably needed to do some confession upstairs where she was going or whatever. And out of nowhere, out of nowhere, I'm sitting in this chair and I hear in my head, not out loud, but it was clear to me, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me the way everlasting. And I literally remember thinking to God out loud in my head, well, that's not for me, you need to go, Kathy's up in the bedroom, she needs to you need to kind of help her search some things out and figure out what's wrong with her heart right now. And I clearly felt like God was saying, no, I'm saying this to you right now. Will you let me put a spotlight on you and I want you to see what you just did. And I'm kind of like pushing the spotlight upstairs to the bedroom where Kathy's at. No, no, you're in the wrong place, God, up there. But I felt like, and I literally remember opening my posture in the chair and saying, okay, tell me, tell me. (laughs) And God used this very specific word. You are being a jerk, all right? It's not a Greek word. It's not a Hebrew word. It was a word God used to me. 
And I felt like he was helping me realize what was wrong in my life and corrected me when I was wrong and teach me what to do is right. And even the word, when it says to do what is right, the, the word in some translations is translated to act righteously. And we often misunderstand that word. Righteousness is actually a relational term. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. A righteous person has healthy relationships. A righteous person is forgiving and kind. A righteous person is the kind of person that has incredible emotional intelligence, social intelligence, spirit. They're, just, they're in right relationships with people. And so God was telling me in that case, this is where you need to change. And if we don't think you need to change, then you're not going to change, right? If, we don't, if you think you've already got it figured out, you don't need to change. And this whole sermon series is a waste of your time. But I think most of us would say, well, yeah, we, we want to change. And when God shows us things, uh, we have a choice whether we invite God, okay, then it'll help me change in this area. So, uh, that, so that's 2 Timothy. Next one. This is actually in the book of Hebrews, which we just concluded a few months ago. Talks about the Word of God. The Word of God is alive and powerful. So again, we don't believe that this is simply academic text that we study and cut apart and break up. But it's alive and powerful. It's sharper than any of the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And you might think, which is a legitimate question, why would I want that? Why would I want to be exposed? And the assumption there is that you know you're broken. You know you're not the person you want to be yet. You know you're not the person that God envisioned when he created you. You know there's things that hold you back. You may not want to admit it to anybody, but you know. And so if you're smart just like when I had a bad hip, if I'm smart, I'm going to expose myself to the surgeon's knife because I don't want to be hampered anymore. So we read the Bible, not simply, I mean, it's not like we're going to read the Bible and every time God's going to hit you over the head and kind of correct you and cut you up. But we read the Bible because it helps us understand this is what a life-giving kind of life looks like. And so, and sometimes our innermost thoughts and desires need to be exposed because nobody else knows what our thoughts and desires are but you and God. So sometimes you need, to, you need God to correct those things in you and expose those things in you. I can still remember a time where I had an argument with one of my brothers. We were about something, and I feel like God exposed to me that I was being selfish about it. My brother didn't tell me I was selfish. I feel like God told me I was selfish. No one even knew what my thoughts were had been going on with my brother. But I remember thinking, I remember the experience when God, I felt like God said to me, you know, you're being selfish. And I was like, and you kind of want to argue with God, but you can't win, so you kind of stop at that point. But so you will, we read the Bible because it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Uh, one more we have, and then I'll have some practical solutions. This is, a, this is two slides long. This is the book of James, New Testament book um, written by James. He says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Novel idea. Otherwise, if we, do, if we listen and don't do what it says, then we're called hypocrites, right? That's the biggest one of the big knocks on Christians today is we're hypocrites. We don't do what the Bible says. So don't just listen to the word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourselves. You walk away. 
and forget what you look like. So in a sense, not in a sense, in a clear, in a clear teach, I can understand myself better. I know how God sees me. I know what needs to change. I know where God is also affirming me. And then the passage goes on. But, actually read this out loud with me, all right? But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, what does it do? Sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Again, the intention here is it sets you free. The Bible is not in place to push you down. It's not in place to oppress you, to repress you, to keep you from doing all the fun things. The Bible's in place because God says it sets us free. So whether it's God exposing you for things, whether it's God confirming something to you, I mean, Exodus Church exists in part because I believe God told me things through the Bible. And I don't mean that in a goofy way. It wasn't like I heard voices out loud or skywriting, but it was very clear to me that there were some passages in the Bible that, that seemed to kind of jump, jump out at the page in me. Um, you know, all of a sudden the 12-point font seemed like it was 24. All of a sudden the black print on white seemed like somebody had highlighted it. Not, not literally, I'm not saying I had visions, but I had this kind of internal sense of this is really important for me somehow. And there was a collection of passages and verses that over about a three-month period that I felt like God was saying to me, I want you to start a new church. So it's not just correction, it's, it's correction, it's direction, it's affirmation. It's all the ways that God uses those things in our life. So, next slide, a couple of the practical suggestions. I'm going to challenge you. I don't know how many of you have any kind of regular habit in the Bible, um, and my habit isn't perfect. Um, I grew, up, I grew up in an environment where if I, if, I didn't read the Bible, if I didn't read the Bible on a given day, I should assume something bad was going to happen to me, like it was some kind of good luck charm. That's not how you read the Bible. So I don't know what your habits are, if you have habits, or if you just need to refresh your habit. Um, but again, the habit is to put yourself in a situation where God can work in you. So three suggestions, and you can pick one of these, all of these, or another suggestion, all right? Psalm 119 is the one's 176 verses long, and it's all about the Word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Oh, how I love your law. I mean, the, the, the writer just writes over and over about why he loves the Word of God. So I read that. I read that in a couple of different versions this week. Uh, but maybe that's just, I'll just say, pick that psalm, and over the next week, just try to read through it. It's actually in 22 different sections each section starting with a, the, a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it was kind of an acrostic. We don't understand it because we don't read it in the Hebrew. So if you see that when you read in your Bible, you'll see 22 different sections. And it was like this long poem that the psalmist wrote, kind of each section starting with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But it's about, this is, I, I, love, I love the law of the Lord. When I read it, it sets me free. I run in the path of your commands, set me free. Uh, all, all kinds of things like that. So maybe that, maybe the next week, just, just make it your goal to read 176 verses. If you get done on Tuesday, start it again. All right? If you do it all in one setting, I, didn't, I did it in one setting Friday, and it probably took me no more than 10 minutes. So I did another setting where I had a red pen. I just marked things I thought were interesting to me in that passage. Second thing is, second, second suggestion, Book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. 
month of June has only 30 days, so it kind of messes up a little bit. But just read whatever proverb corresponds to the day of the month. So if you wanted to start today, read Proverbs chapter 4. If you do it tomorrow, read Proverbs 5, then 6, then 7. And if you, don't, you know, you don't, if you don't go back and catch up 1, 2, and 3, that's okay. Don't put any kind of legalistic expectation on yourself. Just start a habit. These are just simple habits to start. I, I know some people, and I've done this before too. Some of you, I'm sure, have read through the Bible in a year. There's these plans. You can read through the Bible in a year. Which is, which is a good practice. I wouldn't start that way. That's almost like saying, I'm going to run two miles a day for the rest of the year. But if I miss a day, I've got to run four the next. I mean, it, most, most times those plans are really good, but then you start getting way behind, and then it becomes a chore and a duty. And reading the Bible as a chore and a duty is not the way it was meant to be engaged. So if you want to read through the Bible in a year, there's all kinds of plans you can find online. But I wouldn't start that way because, like I said, it's almost like making the New Year's resolution. I'm going to run two miles every day, and for every day I miss, I run the two miles the next day. And then sooner or later, you've got 55 miles, 56 miles to catch up on. And you're just like, I might as well quit. And then you feel defeated, and, reading, and, and, the, and the exercise makes no difference anymore. So you can read through the Bible in a year, but just make sure you have a, a, a setting for how you want to do that. And don't be legalistic. If it's not working, stop it and do something else. God's not going to strike you with lightning if you don't finish the plan. Third suggestion is read through the Gospel of John. And when I just say, over the next few weeks, just pick up, if you read a chapter one day, maybe one day you might have a chance to read two chapters. Maybe you miss a day. Don't, don't freak out about that. Just get in the habit of trying to pick it up every day and read something. If you miss a day, read some the next day, but you, know, you don't need to double it up. You don't need to punish yourself. So again, I don't know what your habits are, but I'm just going to encourage you, maybe one of those three, and I'm actually going to do one of those. I'm going to do Psalm 119 because I feel like I need to refresh my habit. I mean, I have habits of how I read the Bible, but I feel like lately I need to kind of hit the refresh button. I feel like I'm kind of, I want to think differently. I want to engage what God's saying to me in different ways. So that's what my challenge is, one of those three. And I'm just going to challenge you to kind of not only have the desire to do it, just plan to do it and start it even today. Start it tomorrow. Do it on your phone, do it in here, do it in your book, whatever. But it's going to challenge you to do it, all right? Go to the next slide, and then we're going to lead to communion. In John chapter 114, because everything we talk about will always come back to Jesus. So we don't worship the Bible, we worship Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14. John says, the word became flesh. This is the word of God, but we also believe the word, the, the ideas, the thoughts of God became flesh in Jesus. And he made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The reason we study the Word is because we want to know the Word who became flesh among us. It's not jeopardy. It's not trivial pursuit. It's because we want to know the unfailing love and faithfulness that Jesus shows us. That's the, that's the objective. All right? So we, every week we take communion in Exodus. And so... Uh, um, because we want to be reminded that it's Jesus inside of us. His spirit in us is what gives us the large capacity for our heart, the increased capacity for joy and peace. So Jesus said the night he was betrayed, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Every time you do this, remember me. And what we're doing is we're inviting the word that became flesh into our bodies. And so... Uh, 
as you do this, we can do this. This is a habit that is good to do because it puts ourselves in a state of mind to invite more of Jesus in it. But, even, but reading the Bible is a habit that's good to do because you put yourself in a place where the Spirit of Jesus can talk to you. So the Christian life is full of a variety of different habits to put yourself in a place to listen to God. Here's how we did it.